founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am honored to sit down with Sagi Brody. Sagi is a thought leader and CTO at Opti9, a hybrid cloud solutions provider in North America. He's an expert in all aspects of the cloud and interconnection industries, specialized in digital evolution, data recovery, and compliance. Opti9 is growing like crazy, and here to talk about it today is Sagi. So, Sagi, my new friend, thank you for being here today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, like we always start off, we just like to get an idea of the origin story of the company or of your involvement with the company. Uh, so if you could take us back to how this thing got started and why. Sure. All right. I'd love to. Um, well, you know, it really, it, it goes back past, uh, past 20 years. Um, you know, I've always been interested in, in computers and sort of taking things apart and, and breaking them and putting them back together and probably even goes back before that to, to just playing with Legos. Um, but always, always been, uh, you know, interested in computers. And um, when I was going to college, I, I got a job um, just at a, a local uh, internet ISP, uh, internet provider, getting paid eight bucks an hour. And um, that was my, that was my side job. Um, and when I was there, you know, I, I, I met someone who, um, uh, who eventually became my business partner named Mike. And um, we, you know, this was now, this is the late nineties. And, you know, as a freshman in college and uh, at that point, the Internet and, and, you know, sort of the World Wide Web and websites really started to take off uh, and it was really in its infancy. Um, and Mike had had friends of his asking, you know, him to design websites. He was the web designer. So I, I was more on the on the tech side and, and running the servers and he was on the design side. And we both worked for this ISP who started getting into into hosting websites. Um, and so at some point, Mike said he wanted to go and, and start his own thing and start his own little hosting company. Um, and he kept asking me if I would help him. And we became friends working there. And what I, what I just really, we kind of took to each other. And what I liked about Mike was even though he was, he was 15 years older than me, um, he, he just treated me like an equal, right? I wasn't, I wasn't the, the college freshman that was coming in like doing grunt work. Uh, he was, like, we became friends. And at some point he, he told me he was going to quit and he wanted to start his own thing. And he said, you know, why don't, why don't you join me? And um, I told him I was, I was too busy. Uh, I was going to college full time and, and I already had a job. Um, but he kind of like, you know, he had a certain charm to him and he's like, well, can you write me a pro this program and can, and can you maybe write me some scripts? And, you know, eventually um, I had to kind of decide if I was going to, you know, so I, I did that. I wrote some programs for him and, um, and then he said, why don't you come and join me? Let's, let's start our own little hosting, you know, company. Um, and it was an interesting decision that I had to make because the company that I was at, you know, I really just loved the technology and, and I loved getting my hands on, on everything and um, the servers and the network and, and all that. And, and the company I was working at was, you know, was established, you know, they had a decent size uh, set of infrastructure, certain number of servers. And, and the way I put it in my head was, you know, do I want to kind of be the, the second or third in command um, where I'm being told what to do, but at a much at a big company, or do I want to run my own thing, albeit something that's tiny, 
you know, a very small scope. And at the time, and if you remember, but you know, the, 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 these old circuits, they were, they were T1s and T3s. And so in my tech brain, I was like, do I want to be third in command where a company that has a T3 or do I want to have my own T1? And ultimately I decided that like, you know what, I, I want to own something, you know, I, I want to be in charge. I, I want the buck to stop with me. I want to, I want to take full ownership of it. And so I, I said to Mike, yeah, you know, let's, let's do it. And like, I wasn't thinking about money to me, no matter what I did, it was, it was secondary to just going to college and I was doing it for fun, you know? And so it was really just like, what's, what's going to be, what's going to be paying my, my lunch money really not like, let's go start a big tech company. So that's pretty wild that you were given this level of an opportunity while you're still in college. You must've been a talented kid. How did you balance the role he was asking you to play while also being in full school, uh, in school full time? Yeah. And you know, just to be clear, like he wasn't, it, it wasn't like, let's go start a company. It was basically like, he was asking me, Hey, can you run these servers for me? Can you be my server guy? I'm, I'm being asked to host websites for my friends. I need someone to run the servers. And so I was like, yeah, you know, sure. Sure, I'll do it. Um, how did I balance it? I mean, honestly, that stuff was fun for me. Um, you know, I, I you know, my social life took a hit, but that's okay. Like that's, you know, my passion was, was around staying up all night and, and you know, solving these problems. And at the what was interesting too at the time was that, you know, the education system was, was really just behind the technology, meaning, you know, this was like the wild west the late 90s these you know the 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 world wide web was coming up and people were starting to use the internet in ways that they weren't using before and you know nothing against the 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 colleges or education system but you know they they were teaching still relevant information they were teaching foundational knowledge um but they were not helping me like you know the the, the challenges that i was that I was facing you know just trying to you know uh run these programs to host these websites and all that, like, you know, you, you know, the, the, the college programs were just not able to assist. You kind of had to, you know, deal with it a different way. And there was no Google back then. There was no help guides. There was no tech support. You, you were kind of in the trenches on your own. You had to kind of sink or swim, you know? It reminds me of language learning and you can tell me if this is wrong, but there was a difference in me taking Spanish, for instance, in high school and in that formal setting, got kind of just working with the words and the language, memorizing things. And then I got to spend six weeks in South America. And I came back from six weeks where you're just there having to communicate, having to be, like you said, be thrown in the deep end and figure it out in the context of the conversation. And I came back speaking more fluent Spanish in six weeks than I did of two years taking the formal courses on Spanish speaking. Right. And it sounds similar. Like you're learning the basics, you know, from your professors and those kinds of things, but you were thrown into the real situation yourself and working things out in real time. Sounds like it was a really valuable learning experience, right? Yeah. And I think, I think you nailed it, you know, and I, th I think everyone, you know, I think that the industry, um, at least the tech industry has woken up to the fact that, you know, different people learn different ways. And some people learn via books and in classrooms and others just learn by example and learn by by trial and error and getting your hands on something and that's and that's how i learn i, I just really need to, to dig in uh, and, and you know maybe i'm stubborn but try different things until i figure it out but you know that's really you know i think that the way in which i learn and and what worked for me um yeah and, and i think that there's starting to be an intersection or at least people are starting to realize 
it, it's got to be a combination of both. And I've, I've, you know, interviewed a lot of people over the years that have just kind of come out of college, come out of it only with the, the knowledge, you know, that they learn in college. And I think that, you know, the sort of the, it, it's, it's almost like the way I've told them is when you go to college for computer science, you're, you're getting a little taste of everything. You know, they're kind of sprinkling a little bit of knowledge, but you don't really come out become, being an expert in any one thing. And really all those classes, what, what they should be doing for you is which one piques your interest the most? Which, which one are you, what are you gravitating the most? Is it, is it, you know, cybersecurity? Is it programming? Is it networking? And hopefully one of them piques your interest enough where you end up spending your, your, your time outside of school in, in um, entrenched in projects and just trying things out and becoming an expert in one of those paths. Now there's other, you know, sort of um, programs, right? There's these boot camps um, outside of traditional college systems that have, are more focused, right? And I think those are, are great as well. But, um, you know, maybe, you know, five, 10 years ago, I, I, I sort of interviewed people and they had, you know, they had foundational knowledge across a, a wide gamut, but they weren't deep in any one thing. Yeah, if you were, if you were coming up again, you know, let's say we reverse time 20 years, but it's today in modern day, what would you do? Like, what, what, what things would you find valuable? Would you still go to the traditional school? Would you be doing the boot camps? Would you be self-learning or just jive into a job? What would you be doing? I think that the, the best thing that, you know, the, the reason I was successful was because people just like you were talking about being, you know, um, in another country, having to learn the language, you, you know, you, you have to have a goal put in front of you. Um, so that you are forced to learn. You yeah. know, when, when people try to learn something new for the sake of learning something new, it, it turns into a it turns into a, a a burden, right? When am I going to learn? You know, um, uh, PHP or this new programming language? That's it's it, it. You need to you need to be given a goal. Like if someone says to you, "Build me a, an e-commerce website so I can sell my my dog collars." You know, great. Now you have a goal, and if you happen to learn this language or that language along the way, it's you know that's what there's got to be a, a carrot dangled in front of you to force you to do these things. And that's yeah. what I got. You know, with with our business, um, we had customers calling us every day, and they were across different industries, um, and they had different goals, and they were working with different technologies, and and they just kept saying, "Can you do this for us? And can you do that for us?" and we just said yes to everything. We said yes first, we figured it out after. And that's what forced us to learn all these new skills and, and be involved in these different sorts of scenarios. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna touch on that for a second because you, I've heard that a lot. And I just wonder how you, how you think about this in retrospect. Like we were very similar. At the beginning, revenue, revenue and experience is everything, right? So you can't be too picky. Yet at some point you start hearing people say, but no, no, and the niches are the riches. Like, stop saying yes to everything. No, specialize. Do you think it's just a matter of when? You know, is it context driven? Like, how do you think about those kind of two competing different ideas of saying yes to everything versus no, 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 niche down, niche down? That's, yeah. It, I mean, it's such a great conversation and, and topic, right? Um, I used to joke and say that, you know, we didn't sell products. We just, we just sold the word yes. That was our product. Um, but, you know, like when you're a small business and you're not funded, um, you know, yeah, you are you are chasing the dollars and you sort of go the direction dollars take you. But you're right. At, at some point, you need to focus on scale. Um, and I think there's different paths that different companies, you know, go down. So Optinine, you know, we're, we're a pretty we're a pretty bespoke 
um, company. Meaning, I think our our um, uh, our secret sauce is in the ability to be flexible and to customize for for our customers. And what's interesting is. We, there's others in our in our markets and industries that they build a business on just sort of being transactional and being iterative and that makes you scalable you can repeat you know you can repeat you can you can you can scale you can grow doing the same thing over and over um, I think both paths you know are are, are a way to get to becoming a, a, a large successful business there's not one right or wrong and right. for us you know there's there's a whole slew of, of companies out there that are looking for for vendors who can be flexible and customized because their businesses are are messy you know they have skeletons in their closets they have edge cases they have legacy um they need that flexibility and so that i you know it, you have to just acknowledge and say what do you want to be when you grow up you know and i think for us when we when we figured out that you know our capabilities and our advantages lie in in you know having an appetite to be flexible and having an appetite to to, to be bespoke you know, we were able to embrace it. And I actually tell people we're not the most scalable company. Now, when I say that, you know, and, you know, saying it on a podcast is probably not the best thing, but, you know, the, the marketing people and the salespeople, they, they roll their eyes at me because I go, oh, you shouldn't say that. I'm like, well, no, it's, it's true. We, we can't be everything to everybody. And we did not build the business for cookie cutter transactional sales. Um, but, and that's okay. You know, there's companies that are out there that that you know are messy and they need us to to build customized solutions. But you're right. At the end of the day, how do you balance that with scaling the business? And that's a challenge. You know, and it's always a moving target, and it's always a mix of, of you know, you know, like if I can if I can hit ninety or eighty percent of of our customer use cases, you know, out of the box, great. But that ten percent, you know, is where we're going to win that business. From the others and yeah. yeah how do you grow that you know it's always something that we're working on how do you scale that you know how do you make sure the guy that gets the phone call or the girl at four in the morning from a customer and it's about some weird thing that we did you know how do you uh, how do you plan for that and we don't want every customer to be a, its own little science project but you know so we we, we need good documentation and you need some you know uh, fences around what you're doing yeah yeah, what what I you mentioned several things that I just think are just interesting topic, top talking points or topics. And one is that you when you said what do you want to be when you grow up, I love that that you brought that into a an adult conversation, right? That's typically just a kid conversation, and it's like, no, that's that's pretty important because not everybody has the same idea of what success is. Like bigger isn't always better, or the infinite meaning like the most extreme version of monetization is obviously what we want. It's like maybe not. Maybe, maybe we don't, you might be saying, I still want a killer profit margin. I still want to make a huge impact, but we want to do it in this way. And so we'll see what that means, right? We want to do it in a customizable way versus this. And so I just think that's a self, like a business self-awareness that probably creates passion and it creates innovation in different ways because you're, you are saying yes to this and no to that. Right. And that's the biggest thing about niching is what are we saying yes to? What are we saying no to? And you guys have said yes to bespoke, right? So you did niche down in that sense of the operational philosophy. Um, what about when it comes to the type of problems you're solving or the customers you're serving? Is that still like a whoever comes to us or has that been more of a over time? We, we said, now yeah, we're, we're typically solving this kind of problem for this kind of customer. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've, it's interesting because I've always been the one to, 
to always want to say yes and and to just accept everything. But we've had, and I think that's something that that comes from being a founder and starting small. And, and maybe it's like imposter syndrome a little bit that we have to say yes. You know, we have to keep we have to keep growing. We you know, if someone's asking for something, we got to do it. Having you know, having hired some folks that have come from more transactional businesses was good because they were the, the counterbalance to that, where where they would say. No, you, you have a good product. You can say no to some of these things. Um, you, you can focus just on these few things and you grow the business. You don't have to say yes to everything. And so I think having, having you know, that confidence to be able to say no earlier than normal has been, has been helpful. And it feels really good. You know, so even though we are bespoke uh, and customized, it's still within a few sets of, of products and offerings. Exactly. Um, and that actually, feel, it really does feel good at some point. To, to say no and, and to even to be customized and flexible to still have some focus on solving some some types of challenges. But going back to your to your question, I, it's interesting because like we never had a, a specific focus on a on a type of industry or or uh, or vertical. But when when I look at being a company that has an appetite of being flexible, um, and pairing that up with you know what type of organizations. Um, uh, you know, find that find value in that. It ends up being ones that are have similar DNA. So today we we service uh, financial services, a lot of financial services organizations, a lot of healthcare organizations, a lot of uh, legal and law enforcement, because they all kind of look and act the same. They all they all have you know uh, IT organizations of a certain scale and size. Uh, they all have they, sometimes they have complex network, complex complex compliance requirements. And so, you know, they all, they're all similar in that regard. And so again, it, it was an awareness. It was like, gee, look, look, these are all types of verticals that put a lot of value on our ability to be flexible, you know, and making that acknowledgement and becoming self-aware of that, you know, now we can go, we can go and, and try to focus on them, you know? I, I, I love that. I have one of my best friends. He's probably one of the, in terms of like my actual friends that I, I really respect the most as a leader. He has a phrase uh, consistently, which is what wants to happen. I guess it's a question he always asks. He's like, there's the thing we want to happen that we're driving towards and whatever, but he equally weighs looking around and saying, what wants to happen? Like what seems to be the fit here? What, where does the flow seem to be happening? And that's kind of what you're talking about going, hey, I've noticed we fit really well with these industries and these industries like, this almost wants to happen. They're looking for a company just like us. And if we recognize that and double down on that, even a little bit, divert more time and resources to that, it has probably a disproportionate return on that energy and that money than when we're trying to force it into these markets and get them to understand us and you know that kind of thing. So is that, is that kind of what, what I'm hearing? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, kind of, you kind of have to take account at some point and, and look back and, and, you know, look at, you know, when we, it's interesting because we started our company as a web hosting company where we would just host websites and we ran it for for many years like that and at some point um we we you know we grew and we had racks full of servers and we put them in different data centers and and at some point we we, we were you know someone would give you space in a certain building and then they'd run out of space and they put you in another building and so on and so on at some point we, we needed our own facility and we bought a data center from um from JetBlue, actually, we we bought their global flight operations center because we just needed a place to put our own servers, and we got sick and tired of, of you know landlords just sort of 
you know, flip-flopping on us. So we bought the data center from them and we brought our servers and we put it there. But what's interesting is that at some point the industry changed. Web hosting was not what it used to be. We were hosting everything. And like you're talking about, a lot of niche players came, came about where they were the web hosting company for th this technology and this technology only. And then the public clouds came about, you know, Amazon and, and Google and so on. And, and, you know, our business, everyone was sort of pecking away at all, you know, at all, all our business model. And at some point we looked at, we took account of our, of our organization and we saw that, you know, we had certain assets. We had, we had a really awesome data center. We had a really awesome network. We had all this fiber all over the place. Um, we had employees um, and, and human capital that, that was really good at running cloud. And we said, you know what? These are assets and capabilities that can do much more than just running small websites. You know, these are these are assets that, you know, like some people, somebody did a tour and they're like, why are you not competing up against, you know, the sun guards of the world? Like you have world-class data centers and fiber and stuff. Why are you just focusing on hosting websites? And so we, we realized that the, the assets that we had, the capabilities that we had, were, were, were useful for other, to solve other more interesting problems. And then we started to focus on those. And, and you know, when you look at working with large organizations, you know, um, to, to solve their, their cloud needs, you know, they need mixing and matching of, of not just cloud, but, but also data centers and interesting networking and all that. And so we were able to, to use those assets and, and apply them to, to the flexibility and to being bespoke, right? And so we shifted. But, but again, it does come to down to acknowledging that. And so, you know, about 10 years ago, we started shifting our business and, you know, had we not had those assets and those capabilities, um, a lot of those old school web hosting companies, they either failed or they sold or, or they pivoted like we did. We pivoted towards to enterprise organization because we had the chops to do that. Man, I, I freaking love that. Like, it's such an interesting question to ask at times in a business, like, what problems are we able to solve, right? Like if we look at our assets, if we look at our know-how, if we look at our whatever, are there other problems, bigger problems, more curious, interesting problems, more profitable problems? Like what are we positioned to actually serve? And that is so smart that you all did that. I mean, my, the question I was going to ask, and you answered it in part, I would say your ability to pivot and, and have awareness on what's working and what's not. But my question is, you all have defied many statistics. You know, we know the, the high statistic of companies that never make it past two years, right? And you're here and thriving, you know, over a decade into this. And so that's a rare air for, for businesses across the board to be in. What would you attribute to the longevity of, of growth and sustainability that your company has experienced? Um, no, it's a, good, it's a good question. I mean, you know, we, it's funny because for so many years we were kind of thinking about what else, what should the pivot be, but it was very forced, right? It, it's kind of similar to going back of like, I, I know that I need to teach myself this new skill so that I'm relative. Like it, it is, it is just a burden and it's just a stressful thing. And it's weird. We, we pivoted without even really knowing it. Right. Um, because we had that passion to solve challenges and say, yes, and because we started to have these assets that were, were useful to doing that, you know, after we did a, a few of these, you know, larger bespoke sort of implementations, you know, we, we, we kind of looked back and we realized that like, hey, we, we have the chops to work on these. And then 
And then we pivot, we, we acknowledge it. And that was the pivot. The pivot was realizing that we had the capability and assets to, to solve more interesting challenges. And so sometimes maybe the pivot is the, just the acknowledgement and looking back at what you've done and looking back at um, challenges that you're solving without realizing that you're doing that, you know? Um, but I, I would say that I think what, what's interesting too, is we've always had a passion, like somebody puts something in front of you and you want to be able to solve for it. I think the imposter syndrome is interesting also too, because we were always competing against much larger companies and and people would, would come into our, our office to do a meeting and they'd come in with their hands crossed, like, you know, I'm just doing this. I'm just coming in as a favor to my buddy who told me I should come and talk to you guys. And, and it's like, what makes you so great? You know, why are you guys better than, than, than you know, the big company down the street? You know, and, and I still think that way, you know, and, and it's funny. Absolutely. Because, you know, having someone come into a meeting like that and, um, and, and you know, me or, or us as, as a team, you know, showing them our vision of, of what the cloud is now and, and where it's going in the future and having people buy into that vision and say, you know what? Wow, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you're, you guys are right. Like that, that gives you a high, right? To, to me, it gives me a high. Like it's just so rewarding because, you know, people are, are placing their bets with, with, with what, what your opinion is, right? And so I was always the tech guy in the back room programming, you know, locked in the closet, you know, coding all night getting out there and, and sharing the vision of where we think things are going and, and having um, our customers agree with us, um, that, that's been super rewarding. And, and, you know, we've been right most of the time. Man, I got a few thoughts. One is I just resonate deeply with you on the imposter syndrome. The first time I ever heard somebody explain what the imposter syndrome was, I was like, that. That's what I have, right? And, I mean, think like I've had it in many different areas of my life, but right now, you know, I'm, I'm leading this podcast two years in and it's in an industry that everyone's saying everyone's doing a podcast, right? And why are you doing one? I don't know, because I wanted to, right? Then I'm leading a business at 37 years old, often competing with people in their 60s, right? So my business helps coach fast growing companies on developing their people. I'm not a 60 year old that has had successfully exited three different companies that they're interviewing down the street. And you feel that like, yeah, why me? And you forget sometimes why me you know why you you know what you can do you know you can solve this problem right and so i'm curious for you how do you i know we all still deal with it to a degree but how did you start to move through that and develop that confidence and and you the, your ideas or the company or the team that i get why you might you know they, they had that saying no one was ever fired for hiring microsoft <laughs> right Yep, yep. I feel that way like sometimes you can't help it they choose the safer one they're covering their ass and it's safer to take a bet on that but at the end of the day, at some point, you wind up to some degree of your own confidence saying, we belong, consider us. Like, how did you start to step into that confidence? Wow, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, I don't know that I have a, a good answer for it, but what I can tell you is, you know, I always, I, I was always trying to solve problems from a technical perspective. And, you know, I, I've heard a few people say, people like to do business with people they like, you know, yeah. and, and I think that especially as a tech person acknowledging that like no it's all about bits and bytes it's like but you know what I do I do believe that um I you know I I think there's a lot of truth there and you know I think maybe one of the ways that I got my confidence was when I when I started meeting when I got out of the back room and and started meeting with potential customers um 
I think the reason I was successful at, at winning their business was because, because they were like me. You know, I, I would I would be meeting with a, a person who's a, a CIO or, or, or head of tech. And, you know, I've been there, you know, and, and I'd hear them put out a certain buzzword or whatever. And, and I just jump on it. Be like, Oh, you're using that platform. Did you ever run into this or that? And showing them that I have the same battle scars as them and showing them that I, I was, you know, in the trenches, you know, as well. And, um, and I realized that it, that's genuine, you know, like yeah. really been through a lot of it what like they have and and it doesn't have to be ex exact scenarios but like I'm just another person like you and I've been in those shoes and I've been up all night trying to fix things and solve things and I, I know those pain points um you know I think that that's that's helpful and I think I I really do believe in in you know storytelling right um yeah you know it's funny we um I used to be involved with this organization called uh, OpenIX, and, and OpenIX is um, it was a it, it's a data center certification that was built from the industry. And so, going back to your question about education versus sort of just operational experience, this is a, a great example of that. You have these you have these organizations that are out there. Think of them as as the big education platforms, and they'll and they'll create a certification. Of, of what a what a good redundant data center needs to be. And they go and certify data centers and and they charge them lots of money and to get their shiny sticker. And there was then there was a, a group of folks who were running um, networks at, at big companies, at companies like Netflix and Akamai and Google and some others. And they got sick and tired of vendors just doing bad things. And, and so they got together, they created their own certification. And it was born from the operational community from the, the, the folks that are actually running all these networks and, and, and this is how they want their, their vendors to work. So, so, so I became involved with that. I was on the board of that organization for a period of time. And then when I started doing tours of our data centers, people would walk in and they wanna check the boxes. Do you guys, are you certified with this? And are you certified with that? And I said, yeah, we have all the certifications, but not only that, we have this other one, OpenIX. Have you ever heard of that? No, I, I never heard of that. Well, let me tell you this really cool story about how a bunch of folks within our industry got together to create their own certification for what was meaningful to them. And all of a sudden, I wasn't just another guy giving a tour of a data center, checking boxes. All of a sudden, I was teaching them something. I was telling them a story. I was educating them. And so we started connecting where I'm just not the vendor, you know, where, you know, where, you know, we're connecting on another level. And I always thought, I always thought about that story and like how, like, wow, if I can, if I can get from being this vendor who, who they're just quizzing to someone who's teaching them something and, and talking to them on their level, like now we're in another place, you know? Yes. Yes. Oh man. We, uh, we hired a sales coach a few years ago because my partner and I are just notoriously bad at sales, probably similar to you where we're great at the technique, the thing we know how to do that you're hiring us for, but no one had taught me how to like lead a sales conversation. And so one of the things that he talked about was like, this is where you get to humbly be the expert. Like their trust in you is going to be, do they feel like they're talking to the person that can solve their problems? Don't get in the resume business. Don't get in the, like you said, the checking the box, the conversation turned in that point for you where they were developing trust because you were establishing, you knew their world. You knew the problems they were solving and you, you were capable of solving them. Right. Um, and then the other thing that you mentioned, that I think it's big for our audience is 
and when we get caught up in uh, the insecurities, it's because we're focusing on what we feel like we don't know or what disqualifies us. When you're confident, it's because you have become aware again of what you do know, right? You become aware of what your real value proposition is. Is my real value proposition that I went to this school or I got this degree? Or is my real value proposition that I know your problem and I know how to solve it, right? And can I display confidence there? And so I'll share a quick story if you don't mind. For me, what when this changed from, from my life early on and being in the coaching business, uh, I was getting one, you know, this, this client here, this client here, smaller client, smaller client. And I had some call me from kind of my past life, not like my actual, like an actual past life you know, in real life from my old career <laughs> and said, man, I really, I heard you're into coaching. Now I really could use you. I'm working for this, uh, private equity firm and they're willing to invest in stuff like this, like to, to get us coaching. And I just really feel like I need your help. I said, awesome, let's do it. I was so excited. I never worked with anybody in private equity. I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. And he said, only thing is you have to come in and meet the head of the private equity firm first. And he's got to sign off on, on you before he invests in this. And I was like, okay, great. And so I'm driving there and I, I, I shit you not. I'm literally Googling on my phone. I know I shouldn't be driving and Googling. I'm Googling on my phone. What does a private equity firm do? Like, <laughs> That was like what I was starting in. And so I get in there. He's like, share, tell me your story. So I tell him my story. I tell him how I got here, why I do what I do. And he said, that all sounds great. And I can see why he likes you. But this is the question he asked. What and everything you just told me qualifies you to coach any of my people in private equity? Wow. Siggy, I'm about to have a panic attack. I'm like, my heart is racing. I'm in this, you know, corner office in downtown Atlanta with this private equity firm. And the guy's asking me, asking me my worst nightmare question. What actually qualifies you to coach any of my people? And I thought about it for a second. I was like, I can't bullshit this guy. What's my honest answer? And I said, if you're asking me, what do I know about private equity? The answer is nothing. <laughs> I said, I Googled what private equity does on the way here. And I laughed. He didn't laugh. I don't think he thought that was funny. Wow. And I said, but here's what I, my guess is. You're not hiring me to do private equity. You've already hired those people. They have the masters in that. They have the degree. They're doing private equity. You're hiring me to help you with people. And I know people. You can't figure out why that person is not performing. You can't figure out why that person is crumbling under stress. Everything I told you has prepared me to help those people with that. They're not going to ask me about what to do with that fund. They're not going to ask me how to invest money. That's not why you're hiring me. I got that job. Wow. I, I freaking got that job. And I remember walking away going, I didn't have to lie. I didn't have to spin the truth. I just had to recognize what I was really, what the opportunity really was and be confident in that. And man, that's changed my life. Like for my company now, I'll say, yeah, we don't do that. Or no, we don't have that qualification. But if you're looking for this, we do do this and I can do that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you know, what, what, what resonates is, is the passion right? Like you're yeah. not afraid of sharing like, like what you're passionate about. And, and when I talk to people about, you know, uh, our business and all that, like people have told me like, wow, I, I can, I can tell you're passionate about it. And I think, I don't know if, you know, I don't know if some people are afraid to just show how passionate they are about it or like be themselves or wear it on their sleeve. But, you know, passion is probably more important than confidence or passion is confidence. Yes. Like, if people hear you're passionate about something, you're, they, they realize you're not going to be someone who's just going to give up. Like if you're that passionate about it, you'll figure it out. 
Yes, come on. I, I freaking love that. And I know I'm off. I'm off somewhere when my passion is not coming out. Something's off. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm not I'm not connected to what I should be connected to right now because I'm naturally passionate about this. I'm self-protecting right now or worried about looking stupid instead of just like, come on, man, like be be yourself. And that leads me to to, to the question I had for you uh, that we've had for every guest, which is around passion. Right. But it it's a little more specific to that. Like, what would you say you're currently most passionate about that? could either accelerate someone's business that's listening to this or just accelerate their personal growth in life as they're listening to our podcast right now? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've probably been given this, giving the same answer for a very long time, but like, you know what, I'm passionate about the fact that like in the tech industry, there's too much focus on, on the tech, on the Kool-Aid of the day. And I have been, honestly, I've been successful because not knowing this coding language or that coding language or this technology, it's really the soft skills that that go beyond um, and that transcend the you know the tech of the time. And the, the tech industry is just way too hung up on, on the tech, you know. And so I've been successful because I've been resourceful, um, because I'm a good Googler, um, because I find you know creative ways to, you know, to, to solve things wh where there's no documentation around it. So for instance, being a good troubleshooter, right? That is a, a skill that you can train for uh, wow. and, and, you know, focus on and take pride that I'm a good troubleshooter. And like, you know, over the years, you know, because I was uh, the main tech people, you know, people that have worked for me, they've tried to solve, solve issues. They run into problems and at some point they get stuck. And they would come. They would come to me and say, "Hey, I can't figure this out." And they 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 put it on my plate. And now it's on my plate. You know, either I can fix it, I can figure it out, or I'm going to lose a customer. And you know what? They were doing themselves a disservice in a way, but they were doing yeah. me a service, right? Because I ended up building up that skill of of you know being a good troubleshooter. And over the years, I'd walk by someone's desk, and and they might been they might have been trying to solve a problem for days, and with them giving me five bits of information with very little context, I was able to figure it out because if you can think in that way and you can, you can be a good troubleshooter, it's applicable. It's applicable to everything you do. And so I've thought about what troubleshooting as a skill. Then I thought about like, what are some of the other, you know, soft skills that, that will take you further. And so again, like being resourceful, being a good Googler. And honestly, like, I, I don't, uh, I, I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed to say it, but like when I first started, when there was no Google, the only place that I had when I got stuck was was these internet chat rooms where you go in and talk to people. And then if you yeah. went in and talk to someone and ask a, a question, you may or may not get help. There's there's times, you know, going back 20 years where I'd go in the room and I changed my name to Jenny24F and I'd uh, I'd ask a technical <laughs> question. And, you, you know, I got my answer. You know, I had like 30, 30 people messaging me the answer right away. So... <laughs> You know what? You can't you can't really uh, say, do that anymore. But uh, you know what? Hey, that's being that's being resourceful. Now, in the medical industry, they have something called bedside uh, bedside clinics, right? They actually acknowledge that, like, if you misdiagnose someone, someone's going to die. So I think we have to bring that into some of these other industries, and people have to not, you know, when I when I move from being technical to being a manager, going back to confidence, letting go of your of the value that you place on yourself because you're good technically, yeah. because you're a good programmer and acknowledging that, that you can provide value to a company 
with, without your technical skills, that's a, that's a really huge leap of faith. It took me a long time to get over that. And it kind of goes back to your story. But when I did that, when I'm like, I can add value without, without, you know, without lifting a finger and, and coding anything, that was, that was a huge transition. I think everybody in the tech industry at some point goes through that. I have nothing to add to that. That is so well said. I think it's not just in the tech, even though I think it naturally aligns maybe with the types of personalities in tech and the assumptions made there to undervalue that. But across the board, one of our clients is a former Navy SEAL. And I was asking him, he was actually on the podcast as well. I was asking him, why does he think that a, such a large number of like special forces, former special forces people run successful companies now? And he, his one answer that he could guess was what you said. He said, man, the one thing we learned above all else was that our plans rarely went according to plan. And so the skill we developed was troubleshooting live in the middle, working together with other people, going, there's got to be a way for us still to accomplish this mission, even though the helicopter went down and we didn't think the helicopter was going to go down, right? And he's like, when they realized they could take that skill set and apply it to problems in the world, they realized they actually were prepared in many ways with the greatest skill to go out and accomplish in business because they didn't get discouraged every time the plan didn't go according to plan or they they hit a wall. They're like, well, let's go over the wall. Let's go through the wall, we'll go around the wall. We will find a way to get past this. And it sounds like you've developed that same skill set and confidence that is, is so huge. Um, so yes, if you're listening, that is such a great piece of advice to not just, obviously, poker buy-in, the Annie is the technical skills. Like you gotta at least have the technical know-how to be in the game. But if you're going to differentiate yourself, it's going to be in some of the other skill sets, the softer skill sets, the relational ones, the problem solving ones. So uh, I, that got me excited. Well done. Thank you. No, and that's cool. You're right about the Navy SEAL story. That's, that, I never thought about it that way, but that's awesome. Yeah, man. Like that's the think. Like what are they most uniquely trained at in the world? It is how to go into very, very difficult situations. Any special forces and any. It's like you're trying. You're trying to go into the unknown and still find a way out of it. And yeah. that you think about business, that's how it's been for me. We all have our five-year plans, our 10-year targets, and it's important to do it. Just like the Navy SEALs make a plan. But yeah. you are kidding yourself if you think you have accurately predicted what the next five years is really going to look like. You're going to be doing a lot of adjusting and you know taking in new information and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's the part that where theory meets reality, and it gets very challenging for us all to say, I thought it was going to go this way. Holy shit. Never saw a lockdown coming, you know, never saw, never saw that technology changing that drastically or the needs of our customer changing that much. And man, the people that can keep figuring it out, you know, as they go are going to win. So awesome. I want to, I want to make the most of your time and not, not just keep talking with you. Um, I could talk to you all day, which is why I have to look at the clock. So let's get into our five lightning round questions. These are five questions we've asked each founder so far. And I'm going to start with number one. If you could ingrain just one message into your entire organization, what would it be? I would say, you know, you own your future. Um, we, you know, we all started from the same place. Um, our environment, our, our organization is a playground. You know, go and be the expert in this or in that, and we will, we will support you, you know? Love that. All right, number two. What's the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also what was the worst? I would say the best advice I got was, was to be patient and uh, the hard work will pay off and to not, not get sucked into the, the FOMO. Yeah, come on. 
And then how about the worst, whether given to you personally or you just hear it passed around dinner tables and you're not sure you agree with it? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the whole bit about, you know, if you want something done right, do it yourself. I think there's a, as we talked before, there's like a time and place, but um, I, I could see how that was a, a disservice at times when I didn't push back on other people and force them to do it or teach them. Even with my kids, I see that. Yeah, so good. Number three, what causes you the most stress or worry leading your organization right now? Um, we've been around for a long time. We've been in business for over 20 years. And, you know, th there's just a lot of tribal knowledge. Um, there's a lot of legacy platforms. Uh, I, that's one. And, and just keeping people engaged, trying to align the business so that they're, you know, they're excited about working and they're solving problems that align with the business too. You know, th there's, there's a win-win there. And I always think there's a way where, where people can grow and they can feel good and the company gets what it needs. And so I'm always trying to find that. Heck yeah. All right. Number four, what is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal for this company? Um, just scaling it and becoming what, what we want to be. You know, we have, we, we, we have a vision around, you know, taking ownership and accountability for everything related to hybrid cloud. And there's a lot there. There's security. There's clouds that we don't work with today. Um, and so I'm trying to get us to, to make good on our promise and to make good on, the, on every bit of that vision that we put out to the world. Yep. All right, number five, this is our fun creative question. So if you could hop into a DeLorean, you get to go back to your past and tell yourself just one thing, when would you go back and what would you tell that younger version of yourself? I, I would tell myself to, to not worry so much um, and to have confidence in, my, in myself and my abilities and my skills like, like you mentioned before. Um, but it's also interesting, right? Like, was I successful because you know, would I have been as successful? I didn't worry as much or, or did the worry contribute to, to the problem solving? Right. So, um, I, I think that's, that would, assuming it, it, it wouldn't, I think that would be the biggest thing because, yeah. you know, ultimately everything worked it out, worked itself out. Yeah. Come on. I need to hear that right now. Well, this, wor <laughs> this worry is not productive. Um, all right. I'm actually going to ask a sixth question just because I usually ask it in the interview and I forgot, but I love reading. And so I'm just curious if there's any uh, favorite books that have most impacted your life that you would recommend to someone like me checking out if I haven't read already. Um, well, so a, a recent one that I just read um, was, was called Die With Zero. And um, it's about money, you know. Uh, die, D-I-E, Die With Zero? Yeah, yeah okay. Die With Zero. The idea is when you die, if you could plan your death, um, you should have zero dollars in your account that moment. Um, and so that you've lived your life to the fullest and, uh, cool. it's just, it's really interesting. Yeah. Heck yeah. I'm going to check that out. All right. So Guy, you have been a fantastic guest and I, I appreciate your time, your wisdom, sharing your story and your heart with us. It has been truly valuable, my friend. Yeah, it was great. Great to talk to you. I love your passion as well. Thanks so much. Founders. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.